Check, 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 check. We're live. We're going. We're doing it. Here we go. Full moon tonight. Or at least close to a full moon. It's like really close to being the full circle. Full circle moon. Bright. Beautiful. Majestic. Lovely. Setting a glow above me. Right now. Coming in. Through the window. The glow of a moon. And the background noise? Yeah. That is a snoring beagle. Same old shit. Episode 118. Same old shit. You signed up for this. You subscribed. I hope you subscribed. You left a rating by now, right? Come on. Do it. Leave the rating. Be a good customer. And this is the part where you shout, Then be a good podcaster. Then you bring the content. You son of a bitch. Bring. Okay, I will. I will. Just stop yelling. Why would you be yelling right now? You're just listening to a podcast. Okay? Plus, you don't need to get so worked up. We're in a pandemic. We've been in a pandemic for so long that I'm going to say it. I forget what it's like to not be in a fucking pandemic. I forget. I do remember at the beginning, though, saying things to myself like, I guess we'll never do that again. Uh, I guess we'll never go to the playground again. And we go to the playground now. I guess we'll never go to a restaurant again. And yeah, we go to the restaurants. We like it. Patio dining. We call ahead. Do you guys have heat lamps? We don't go inside, but we take the family out to the old patio dining experience. We call ahead. Hey, do you guys have heat lamps? And if they say no, then we just go, all right, but we're still coming. We'll just wear some beanies and parkas. We'll bundle up. And that's how we live. Braving the brutal California winters. We also said things like, guess I'll never go to the dentist again. Because you can't wear a mask at the dentist. Well, I did it. Okay, I finally did it. I went to the dentist for the first time since February? It's been a while since the professionals took a look at this mouth. And it was as bizarre of an experience as I could possibly have at this point in my life. It got to the point, it was so weird going to the dentist. It got to the point where I looked up at the heavens. I looked through the roof of the dentist office and I looked right at God and I said, really? Really? You got to test me like this? Let me explain how weird it was. First of all, I walk in and the receptionist immediately puts her arm up like, stop, 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 stop. Okay. She kind of points down. We have an arrow system. You've already walked in a pattern that we find to be threatening. Stop. Look down at the arrows. Okay. I was not on the arrow path, got on the arrow path. Then she waved me over. It was so scary already to know that I was unsure about the protocol. She waves me over and immediately holds up one of those new age thermometers where they just hold it up to your forehead and go click. Can we just say it? They're probably not taking our temperature. Let's just say it. Okay. You used to have something under your tongue, a thermometer, a real one with mercury under your tongue for what? 10 minutes. You remember back in the day, 10 minutes under your tongue and it kind of hurt, kind of pierced the back of your gums. And then came the forehead ones. We got to read the colors, color coordinated forehead. Okay. And now what's this? They do this sometimes during COVID-19. These new thermometers. Check our temperature just like that. You're not doing anything. I saw the label Fisher Price. It's just a toy for adults. You've seen it at salons or restaurants, or I guess at the dentist. I I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I don't think they're getting a read. She just said, come here and went, didn't even say I'm going to do it. It was like total recall. It was just a scene out of the future. 97.8. Okay, sit down. Okay, I sat down. And then the 
Next assistant comes out. I don't even know all the names. You know, nobody has their label on their jacket. There's dentist, dental assistant, dental hygienist. I don't know all the positions. And they all seem to roam around. They all seem to roam around. I've been going to this dentist for about, I don't know, five years? Five years. And I'd say the theme of the place is pretty young women. Now, look, I understand it's probably not in their mission statement to declare, we are the hooters of all dental offices. But it's also not not that. So a lot of pretty young ladies. Okay, that's the theme of this place. Did that draw me there in the first place? No. How dare you even ask me that? But I kind of got used to the fact that, all right, that's the theme. That's what's going on here. The Me Too movement didn't shut this place down. By the way, did the Me Too movement shut down all the Hooters throughout America? I actually don't know. Clearly, Marin doesn't have a Hooters. But Hooters used to be the spot in San Diego. I remember. Hooters was like an exciting night. Hey, you guys want to go get wings? Some Bruce? Hooters? Hooters? You couldn't say it without a bunch of douchey fellas smiling like, okay, we're doing it? We're doing Hooters? Great. Where they have to pretend they like us? Terrific. In those tacky orange shorts? Let's do it. And then I remember on the radio, we would do Friday picks, Friday NFL picks. And they would bring in Hooters waitresses to do NFL picks with us. Terrible segment. This is radio. This is audio. Who is in their car enjoying this segment where we have the Hooters waitresses doing NFL picks? I remember the first time I ever did it, this girl sat down next to me and I go through the games. I was like, all right, Titans and Jaguars, who do you like? And she looked right at me and said, I don't like either of them. And I said, oh boy, why are we doing this segment? I should have said, who do you think is going to win this professional tackle football game? And then actually she became a good contributor to the show. Good friend. But that's beside the point. Why am I talking about Hooters? Oh, yeah, yeah. So my dentist, my dentist's name is Crentist. Really, Dwight? Your dentist? Okay. Um, so I walk in and I notice, okay, things are changing around here. They say, go to room six. I go to room six. There is a lady there who's about 60 years old. And she said, hey, 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 the name's Jesse, but you can call me Jess. And I was thinking, I'm not here to call you anything. And I sat down, she put on the goggles, and then Jess looked very flustered. She actually just stared at me right into my eyes. And she declared, I got to tell you, pal, today's my first day. And she said, no, 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 no. I've been a dental hygienist for 45 years. She actually said this. I've been a dental hygienist for 45 years, but today is my first day at this office with this new job, and I don't really know a lot about the computer equipment or the new software. It is pretty new age, I'll admit that. The dentist I go to, pretty new age stuff, all right? Actually, what do I know? I don't know any dentist technology, but it seems new age. So Jessie, or we can call her Jess, she starts by telling me we're going to do some x-rays, and she's having a tough time. She's fumbling the things that are supposed to go into my mouth. She's actually fumbling them, like boop, 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 boop. And I'm noticing, I'm not making fun, but I'm noticing her hands shake. We got a shaky hand hygienist. And now I'm not judging or making fun. I'm just telling you about my first dentist experience of the pandemic. And Jesse probably works there now because everybody else quit. They're too scared to have a job where you just operate on open mouths. Does not sound like a great gig during the COVID-19 pandemic. It just doesn't sound great. But Jesse's still back on the saddle. So it took us about, oh, I don't know, 45 minutes to do the x-rays. She was shoving them too far back in my throat. They're falling on her, falling on me. At one point I said, what's going on? I wasn't mean. I just said, what's going on here? What's going on? 
And she said, sorry, my first day. It's my first day here. I was like, okay, first day here. But what about the experience you told me about, Jesse? So we got through the x-rays and then she immediately couldn't find them on the screen. She couldn't find any of the photos of my teeth. So she had to bring in somebody and they had to bring in somebody. And now everybody at the dentist office is hovering around Jesse and she's pretty stressed. And now I'm pretty stressed, but we haven't even gotten to the examination or the cleaning yet or the polishing or the flossing or the plaque removal or anything. I figure I'm going to be here for about five hours. This is just my day. I'm going to be here for a long time. So Jesse then tells me to lean back. And I had to start reminding her of some things like, aren't you supposed to clip on a little bib? Aren't we supposed to clip on? She, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I don't need the stains. So she clips on the bib and then, you know, the chair that maybe you're supposed to bring it down a little bit and then recline a little bit, maybe just a one foot down and one foot back. Jesse's got me going one foot down, one foot back and then drops me four feet. So I'm like an inch off the floor and then the recline all the way back. Funk head goes all the way back. I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. Jesse puts me on the floor. Basically, I'm just on a raft now. I'm just on a dentist mattress as she realizes she's way too high above me. So she has to reach down. I'm talking about full arm extension, reach down because she's still on the chair. I'm just on the mattress on the ground. We have turned this high tech dentist chair into just a mattress. Now I'm just camping at the dental office and she's going in for the little checkup where she puts that sharp thing into the molars. Looking for cavities. Guess what? She found none. She even complimented my teeth. So now she's got me on her good side. Okay. She complimented my teeth a few times. And then she found some popcorn from a couple of days prior. And that was embarrassing. I had to admit, yes, I eat a lot of popcorn, Jesse, and I'm sorry. And she goes, no, 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 it's fine. It's a nutritious snack. But really when you're flossing, get into those gums. Okay. So it was a gross moment. She exposed me. That's fine. That's fine. Jesse, educate me. And then you knew it was coming. She goes rogue. She kind of gets close to my ear and says, you know, they want me to do this whole polishing your teeth with that gritty toothpaste. I'm not going to do that. And you know, they want me to use this fluoride rinse. I don't do that. She went rogue. She starts to do some things according to her own experience, her own training, her own agenda. She said, I'm from the East Coast. This is how we do it. I was like, oh, just get me the fuck out of here. At this point, I said, okay, I don't need the fluoride. I don't need the polish. I don't even know what we're doing in here, but because of COVID-19, I'd like to leave. That's what I was thinking. Like, can I just speed this up? I didn't even get the goodie bag, by the way. That's how the story ends. It's not even a great story. It's just a true story. I didn't even get the goodie bag at the end. And by the time the dentist came in, the closer, right? The dentist comes in for three minutes of small talk. Hey, hey, Josh, it's good to see you. How's everything going? I go, it's good. Great, great. Well, your teeth look great, except for the fact that this is wrong and this is wrong. And maybe you could pay some money for this and this and this. And your gums are receding and some of the teeth are too close together. And we have some stains and dark spots. And I've never seen anything like this before, but everything else is great. And I go, okay. And then when she leaves, Jesse gives the big eye roll. Like, what the hell does she know? I was like, all right, we got a good old fashioned power struggle. And I was actually counting teeth. Now, as she is trying to clean some of them. I was counting. Did she get that one? Did she get that one? And she would just stop and then get into the next thing. And she was trying to hold the water and the air and the pick and the pickaxe and the 
mirror and she has it all just in her shaky hands and it's all shaky and I'm on the ground. And I, I just didn't have a great experience. But the only good thing was that as it was happening, I was just thinking, okay, episode 118, get to know Jesse. She's definitely been fired by now. And it was the type of firing where when they brought her into the room and said, Jesse, yeah, clean out your cubby. Uh-huh. And hand over your parking pass. Uh-huh. She was just nodding the whole time like, yep. Yep, okay. Sorry. You know, we, we do it a little differently back where I'm from. Hey, Jess, where are you from? Make a long story short, I'm having dinner with her next Friday. Hey, can I ask you all a question? Just let me know. Just let me know. Do you lose the remote on the couch all the time? Occasionally, I have to have a hacky bit. You know, it's like open mic night on this podcast. Just think of it like that. Like occasionally, there's a pearl of truth, a little moment of wisdom. And then most of this is just I'm trying out some hacky bits. But this one's real. I think this one is actually real for all of us. You get that comfy moment where you settle into the couch. And then in a matter of one to two minutes, you look around and you don't know where the remote is. I mean, you've already touched it. You held it. You turned the TV on and then it just vanishes. Where did it go? Now, if you tell me, yeah, but there's a lot of blankets and pillows and clothes that you're wearing. It might be in a pocket and all that. And you check all that and you still can't find it. Okay. Okay. But I have a feeling that even if I was butt naked and there were no, by the way, buck or butt naked, my wife and I can't agree on this. What's the proper term? Buck naked or butt naked? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not claiming that I know. But even if I was buck or butt naked on the couch and turned on the TV with the remote, no pillows, no blankets, I would lose the remote. It would probably just end up in some crevice, I assume. Why does that happen to us all? Why does that happen? Five minutes into a show, you want to turn up the volume or you want to pause it, or you want to do something. You can't find it, right? You can't. It's not just me. You can't find the remote. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? I don't edit anything out of this podcast. Maybe that should have been the first time where I just go, yeah, it didn't work. Didn't work. Or maybe there's one person listening right now who's like, yes, finally, someone sheds light on such an important topic. All right, that's not an important topic, but it guides me to where I'm going. And that is with the remote, what did I do? I went to HBO, typed in real sports for the November episode, and holy shit was I blown away by the first story. If you don't know what real sports is, it's the best sports journalism out there. It's so superior to any other investigative show tackling hot sports topics. Great reporters, they pick the best stories, all access, just really good interviews, good footage. Real Sports has been good for about, what, 15 years? I don't think I ever miss Real Sports. Bryant Gumbel grows on you. He grows on you. But the lead story was about psychedelics for retired, injured athletes. Athletes that have just been beat up, battered, and bruised throughout their careers and who now feel depressed or the need to depend on substances to feel good suicidal thoughts. We're talking about CTE, brain injuries from fighters, boxers, MMA fighters, football players, hockey players who've just entered a post-career phase of misery. And we've heard about this for a while, right? We've heard about brains being studied and how shady team doctors don't really do enough. They just feed you some drugs to mask the pain and maybe some other doctors overprescribe opioids. You always hear that. That these guys become addicted to Vicodin, Percocet, Oxycontin, morphine, fentanyl. It's a long list of things that should not be overprescribed. But in this country, we just do. 
It would just prescribe a bunch of Vicodin. However, why not explore some other natural drugs? See, there's a fine line between party drug and then something that's actually going to help you heal. And I know the line gets blurry because people sometimes party with those kind of drugs. So the story focuses on, you got to watch this. A hockey player who's retired, suicidal headaches. An NFL player, just miserable headaches. These guys finish their careers. They've had so much brain trauma. They want to kill themselves. They're alcoholics. They depend on drugs. And yet there is a small movement. And this is why HBO Real Sports is so good. They're at the cutting edge of what the next big thing is. And it could be ayahuasca and magic mushrooms. You hear me say that and you're like, oh, okay, hippies in Golden Gate Park are just, you know, kids who want to party, have a trip, hallucinate. Sure, absolutely it's all that. There's dangers to it. But it's being studied now. It's finally being studied by these top institutions, Stanford, Duke, Johns Hopkins, because there's a movement to save these guys' lives, not just see them wither away with opioid addiction. And the results were amazing. The stories were so cool. This one guy who's just, you know, on the verge of ending it all, turns to psychedelic drugs, ayahuasca or shrooms. I forget which one it was. But after doing it, and properly doing it with like a guide, like some professional guru who guides him with the hallucination, and they show the whole thing. They actually show these guys just tripping out and having their brains go to a different planet. And then at the end, the results are there. They're measurable. This is now quantitative data where they're seeing their brains get rewired and healed in a way that they've never seen before. And the craziest part was the research could have been there, but Nixon in the 70s started to classify these psychedelic drugs as class one criminal drugs and purged any of the medical research that was going into it. When I say purge, that's exactly what they mean. There's no data that they could have found that was being studied in the 60s and into the 70s about psilocybin and all these hallucinogens, never an easy word to say, hallucinogens. I think I had a teacher say that, hallucinogenic. I was like, well, there's the syllables are all over the place. But hallucinogens, psilocybin, which is what shrooms are. Think about how many lives it could have saved. If this, in fact, is true, and they're not taking it to party, these guys are taking it to save their lives, then this really was an important real sports piece for people to see. And it's not even really explored yet. This is just the beginning. Just the beginning. But when Nixon criminalizes all these drugs, it's like the medical world went away from it. And for some reason, I guess it's probably a huge capitalism conversation why doctors overprescribe these opioids, which these athletes just get hooked on and ends up killing them. But the power of ayahuasca, ayahuasca. They were telling stories like, well, during my trip, I saw myself as a little baby sucking my thumb and no one would help me. And that's when I realized... I have to take care of myself. And then I woke up and I have no more headaches and I'm happy. It's not fiction. These athletes that have been depressed for many years, they wake up out of their trips, ayahuasca and anything that they're on these big, massive trips. And they say, yeah, I'm ready to live again. I've never been so happy, way happier than when I was a professional athlete. It was so fascinating. The NFL has to evolve, has to evolve. But it would be really weird if the NFL started promoting it, right? If the NFL had ayahuasca camps. Yeah, before preseason, we send our boys for ayahuasca training. Then they do their magic mushroom OTAs before we get them into pads for some form tackling drills. That's got to be the voice of most NFL 
executives. Our boys are going to trip their balls off in August. Then we got a preseason game against Arizona before we hit it on the road for some good shroom trips. What could it do? We'll see. There's a guy in this piece who was doing TED Talks about it. I think now a lot of medical institutions, there's going to be some money put into this. If you could capture it in a way where it's not like a street drug, it's not just viewed as a hippie party drug, but something that could jumble the mind in a positive way, help you heal, heal traumas. I loved it. I loved what I learned. Plus, a lot of NFL players are already doing this. They're just not willing to be interviewed on real sports. I remember once talking to a player in the NFL off mic after the interview, wanted to talk about weed. And I was just like, wow, so willingly just talking about smoking weed. And I even asked, the league doesn't care? He's like, no, no, the league doesn't care. They have other things to worry about than suspend us for weed. So a lot of these guys smoke weed, but it's not for the reason you think. It's not to just eat some brownies and giggle at Cheech and Chong. It's because it has some medicinal benefits. And I don't smoke weed, but my God, you tell me about the benefits, I'm all ears. Because I love hearing anything that goes against just prescribing Vicodin. Yeah, Oxycontin or fentanyl. That sounds scary. The way they just overprescribe those drugs. But you tell me that NFL players like smoking weed throughout the week because it reduces headaches and helps their muscles heal a little quicker. Then I'm all for it. So the idea that it's demonized or criminalized in any way by government or NFL executives is such hypocrisy. Come on. Uh, come on. Hey, shut the fuck up with that nonsense. It starts with HBO. It starts with Brian Gumble, and we'll see in a few years. We'll see. I actually think that we're going to see magic mushrooms become commonplace in the medicinal world of healing, in the prescribed world of we are prescribing you with an ayahuasca trip. You get to go to Yosemite and backpack with Critter and the boys. Okay, they'll take you up and down the river. You go on these hikes, you trip your head off, and then you come back, and then all of a sudden you have a new zest for life and your back doesn't hurt anymore. How about that? All right, have I talked about this before? It is now episode 118, and I truly don't remember what I've talked about before. But I'm just going to ask you to do something right now. Spell Berenstain Bears. Can you do that? Oh, wait. Just spell Berenstain Bears. You probably know where I'm going with this. B-E-R. Don't Google it. Don't Google it. Spell Berenstain Bears. Well, before I heard about the Mandela Effect... I would have gotten it wrong. I would have said B-E-R-E-N-S-T-E-I-N. And I would have been certain. I think my wife's brother, Sella. Big shout out to Sella. The only Sella I've ever met. Great name. Sella told me about this. Berenstain Bears. How do you remember it? Well, it was my favorite book as a kid. So I was like, of course, B-E-R-E-N-S-T-E-I-N. And he said, nope. It was B E R. E-N-S-T-A-I-N. And I said, shut that shit up. And then I went to bed. What if I was that bad? Bad to the bone, brother-in-law. But he brought up this idea, and I think I've talked about this before, but it's so fascinating. That there's something called the Mandela Effect. And this is false memories. This is when a large group of people remember an event occurring or something happening in a way that they all agree on. But it wasn't that way. It actually did not happen. And there's a lot of examples of this. People can remember news stories. People can remember speeches. There's been accounts of people coming together to all agree about a logo that they all saw. And then you go back and Google it and you say, oh, it didn't look like that at all. 
or it wasn't that at all. It's called honest lying. Person creates a false memory without intending to lie. There's no intent of deception with the Mandela effect. They're just trying to fill gaps in their own memory and it becomes crystal clear. Like Berenstain Bears with a T-E-I-N is crystal clear, but it's not. It's T-A-I-N. And there's other amazing examples. For the peanut butter, Jif or Jiffy, Jif is a popular brand of peanut butter. So many people remember the brand's label as Jiffy, but it was just Jif. There's one about Looney Tunes. Do you remember it as Tunes, T-U-N-E-S or T-O-O-N-S in the logo? A lot of people remember T-O-O-N-S. No, T-U-N-E-S. There's one about Star Wars. A lot of people, I don't even know Star Wars at all. I've never seen it. Have I mentioned that? I think I've said that, but I don't care. I don't care. I am your father. Many people who quote this famous line, I'm Googling this right now, in Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, say, Luke, I am your father. However, Darth Vader actually says, I am your father. There is no Luke at all. Huh, who knew? So it's a psychological study in how we remember things. How our brain pieces the puzzle of our upbringing distinctly and fully, fully convinces us that our truths are our truths. And there's really not a lot of ways to recognize a false memory. I guess it's called the Mandela effect because a lot of people thought Nelson Mandela died in prison. But no, 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 he didn't, obviously. And then there's conspiracy theorists. Here's the crazy part. Here's where you really want to have your mind blown. You sitting down for this? Conspiracy theorists believe it's proof that there is an alternate universe. And that it really was Berenstain with an E-I-N. In this alternate universe that we're all a part of, we switch back and forth and we can't piece together. Wait, was that real or was it not real? Like that person who came into my life when I was six years old, that babysitter, was she real? Is that a real memory? And no one can corroborate the story. Things get real weird. But hey, conspiracy theories? No, thanks. No, thanks. That's, that's a different podcast. I mean, I could entertain a few. That's what I tell my students. Teaching history, obviously, a few hands go up from time to time and they say something that you've heard before, whether it's 9-11 or about Hitler, and you just have to tell the students, well, this is the way I'm teaching it. These are the facts that I'm going with, but I respect your theory. I respect the fact that you have your own truths. Conspiracy theories in a history classroom, always a tense moment. I think all the students wonder, how the fuck is Rosenberg going to handle this? Now, how the fuck is this going to go down? Every time I talk about Adolf Hitler's suicide, at least one kid. Well, I heard he was shipped off to Argentina. And I go, okay, okay, that's fine. Hey, I'm going to teach you like this. And you could go with that. You could go with that. You don't want to get into a big old argument with a conspiracy theorist. You teach about the moon landing. Well, I heard that it was just a soundstage in Hollywood. I can almost plant the seed for the conspiracy theory moment in a history class. Every year, same old shit. We're just in a cycle now. Okay, this is the part where that student says this, and this is the part where that student has this question. And I've only been doing it six or seven years. I actually think it's to the point where I forget how many years I've been doing it. Six or seven, maybe eight. Maybe eight. I don't know. But the Mandela effect could be totally meaningless to you unless you're like me and you go, no, the Berenstain was definitely T-E-I-N. Damn it. And then you go back and you look at the books. You go, how could that be? But then there's a photo of me when I was six years old in my mom's old photo albums. And it says T-E-I-N. No, that's not true. Wait, that would be cool though, right? I mean, that would just be a horror movie if we could go back. Never mind. Let me just get away from this. Let me end this already, right? 
Okay, here's what I got to end with. I witnessed a masterpiece. Now, I am a stand-up comedy fanatic, a nerd, a nerd for stand-up. And there's a lot of people like me. Probably more and more people like me because it can be medicine as well. Laughter is not just fun. Laughter is essential. And if you have this amount of great comics performing right now, then you're just drawn to their specials, to their podcasts. You want to hear from them because these are the great philosophers of our time. I firmly believe that. I don't just view comedians as like, hey, funny, funny. Hey, nice bit. But I think they're capturing society in a way that it needs to be captured. Point out the absurdities. Try to see things in a new way. Twist it in a way that's going to elicit some laughter. Bring your own flavor to it. I mean, it's just amazing. Good comedy is amazing. It's just the best experience. Well, there have been plenty of documentaries about it and books about it. And I've seen most of them and I've read most of them. But what I witnessed over the last week was the greatest, the greatest production of capturing the essence and history of stand-up that I've ever seen. It's called The Comedy Store. It's a five-part series that ran on Showtime, but I paid for it through Amazon Prime. Did I say Amazon Prime? Amazon isn't that weird? The word Amazon just sounded weird to me. Amazon? Yeah, of course it's Amazon, you moron. Okay, Amazon Prime. I paid eight bucks for all five episodes. Five one-hour episodes about the comedy store. Tells the whole story about Mitzi Shore and Sammy Shore, the divorce that left the club to Mitzi. Tells the whole history of all three rooms, the main room, the belly room, the original room. And it tells the whole history of the three eras, the dark ages of the comedy store, the dangerous days of the comedy store, the drugs of the comedy store, the elation of the comedy store, the careers that were launched at the comedy store, the people that could not excel at the comedy store, the mystique of the comedy store. And if you like showbiz, this isn't just for stand-up comedy fans, but it was a masterpiece. It was an actual masterpiece. This guy, Mike Binder, who was a comedian in the 70s, went on to become a director. He goes back and finds everybody who is noteworthy and conducts these in-depth interviews with people that have really not talked about it. You could tell when he interviews Jay Leno or David Letterman, a lot of these old schoolers, Tom Dreesen, the way they're discussing the glory days of the comedy store, the early days, the long, late nights of the comedy store. The stories are astounding. I mean, the Sam Kinison stories, the Richard Pryor stories, the Chris Rock stories. And then they get into the modern era, the Joe Rogan comedy store, which it currently is, and just how many big names are trying to get some minutes on that stage. And I've been there a few times. It's wonderful. It really is an experience. But the evolution of the comedy store, it touched me. That's how well done this was. Like, I just wanted to applaud. On my couch, I wanted to give a standing ovation. I'm not sure if you've ever experienced that. Watching something that is so beautifully done. Mike Binder, I mean, it's beyond Emmy Awards. What he did is going to remain in the annals in the archives, in the annals, in the annals of the comedy world for comedy fans to really celebrate and watch forever. I mean, this was like Ken Burns capturing baseball. But even better, in my opinion. Even better. Every story hits home. Even the stories that I knew, because I've read books about this place. The way they're told in this docu-series, it's just better. They tell the story of Sam Kinison's death. It honestly made my heart beat the way Carl LeBeau captured Sam Kinison's death. They talk about Jim Carrey, homeless Jim Carrey, just no money, trying to get some minutes and the evolution of his career and how Damon Wayans 
was able to find Jim for In Living Color. We're talking about the biggest names in the history of comedy and how they were all just no names begging for minutes, begging for the approval of Mitzi Shore, this eccentric character who is not really demonized. Polly Shore's mom, she's not really viewed too negatively, but there's a lot of negatives in the stories. But it just becomes lore. It just becomes like one of the great characters, almost like she had to be that way. I'm not even doing it justice talking about it right now, but it's almost like drop the mic. We're done with comedy documentaries. We're done. This is all you'll ever need to see forever. We're done. What Mike Binder did was an A plus a 100%. Okay. You win. You captured stand up. Anybody from Roseanne Barr to Dave Chappelle. I mean, really the stories are just outrageous out fucking rageous. You knew I was going to swear there. All right. I got to go meet Jesse at the Silver Peso, to talk about the glory days of dentistry. But you go ahead and leave that rating already, won't you now? Won't you now, pal? All right, I love you. Let me just say that. Let me just say that. I don't even know who you are listening right now, but I do know I appreciate you. And I do know in this relationship we have, where you flip on Here We Go, episode 118, and you say, give me something. Give me something, you sick bastard. And I say, here you go, it's free. There you go. I'll just flood your ears with this nonsense for about a half hour once a week and we'll just live this way let's live this way tell a friend tell a dog tell a coyote i just realized i forgot to get to the biggest thing wally wally adayemo this is the biggest thing all week my friend josh friday who's been interviewed on this podcast and he's now working for the state department as a chief service officer organizing service for this state, his good buddy from his Cal Bears government days, Wally, was just named as the deputy treasury secretary by Joe Biden. I've met Wally plenty of times. I'm just going to say he's my best friend ever. Why not? No fact checking on this podcast, but my best friend ever was just named the deputy treasury secretary of the USA by president-elect Joe Biden. That's big. Folks, I know someone. I know someone. You know what? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to elaborate. I'm just going to talk about that in a future podcast, but that's big news. All right. I'm out of here. Thanks for listening. Episode 118 is in the books. I'll talk to you soon. (laughs) 